0: Welcome to The Science of Success, the number one evidence-based growth podcast on the internet, bringing the world's top experts right to you. Introducing your hosts, Matt Bodner and Austin Fable.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Science of Success, the number one evidence-based growth podcast on the internet with over 5 million downloads and listeners just like you in over 100 countries. I'm your co-host, Austin Fable, and today we've got an absolutely incredible guest, Irshad Manji. We dig into a ton of great information that's particularly relevant to the climate of the world today. Things such as how you can avoid labeling people, what it really means to label someone, and the shortcuts your brain may try to take when someone makes a statement that if not avoided could get you into really big trouble. But before we dig in, are you enjoying the show and content we put out each week for you? If so, there are two incredibly easy yet tremendously impactful things you could do for Matt and I. First, leave us a quick five-star review on your podcast listening platform of choice. It helps others like you find the show. Next, go to our homepage at www.successpodcast.com and sign up for our email list today. Our subscribers are the first to know about all the comings and goings of the show, but also you'll have access to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. Specifically, when you sign up, you'll get our free course we spent a ton of time on called, aptly, How to Make Time for What Matters Most in Your Life. Are you on the go? Maybe you're working out right now. Well, good for you. Sign up for our email list easily just by texting the word SMARTER, that's S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to the number 44222, and we'll get you signed up today. If you haven't already, check out last week's episode with Laura Vanderkam, We get into a ton of things that are super relevant to the COVID world, such as how to get more done when you're working from home, managing your time better, and much, much more. On this episode, we interview an incredible guest, Irshad Manji. Irshad is an internationally acclaimed educator, author, and speaker. She serves as the Director of Courage, Curiosity, and Character at Let Grow, a national nonprofit that promotes intellectual independence and emotional resilience in young people. Super important work. Its signature program is the Moral Courage College, which has been brought to K-12 audiences and further adapted for universities and businesses. Her latest book, Don't Label Me, is a guide to doing diversity without inflaming the culture wars. Yarshad's two previous books detailed the need for reform within her faith of Islam, and using the Moral Courage method, she shows how to be disruptive without becoming destructive. We had a great conversation and we'll be having her back on the show in short order. Without further ado, Here's our interview with Irshad. Irshad, welcome to The Science of Success.
0: Very happy to be here, Austin. Thanks.
2: Well, thank you so much for taking the time and and I've I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversations kind of pre-recording, so I'm really looking forward to digging in. But but first of all, for for listeners who may not be familiar with you and your work and your background, uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself.
0: Boy, that's a that's actually a hard one because I I lived many lives uh, in one lifetime. Very quickly, I was born in East Africa in a country called Uganda. My family and I, along with hundreds of thousands of other families of South Asian heritage, so Indian heritage, were booted out by the military dictator Idi Amin. And this was my first experience with racism. Now, this might sound odd because Idi Amin, was black and we were brown. So really can a black guy be racist against brown people? Well the truth is anybody can be racist against anybody else. And I think that that will you know influence some of our later conversation here. But he he declared Africa belongs to the blacks. And even though my family had been in Africa for more than 3 generations and had nowhere else to go, The fact that we had brown skin made us unwelcome. So we wound up as refugees in the only country that was willing to accept us at the time, and that was Canada. And I grew up on the West Coast in Vancouver, attending two kinds of schools the secular public school of most North American kids. And then on top of that, Austin, every Saturday for several hours at a stretch, The Islamic Religious School, known as the Madrasa, and I began asking some very simple questions, but apparently they were also inconvenient questions because they got me booted out (laughs) at old age of 14 and my mother, God bless her, you know, she, she's working class and, you know, by her own admission, not educated, quote unquote, but she really has the smarts of a, of an effective mom. And she said to me, look, you're, you're a clever girl. You know, I can't tell you what to do now, but I want you to think about what your next move will be. You know, you spend all of these hours at the madrasa every Saturday. Well, now you can't because you're, you know, expelled. So what else are you going to do with that time? And here's the thing, Austin, because she, she expressed so much faith in my ability to think for myself, I wanted to live up to that expectation. And so I did the closest thing to Google that we had at the time. I went to the public library every Saturday and I read everything I could about cultures and religions and belief systems. And it was at that time that I discovered something about my own religion of Islam, something positive that I would have never learned, sadly, at the religious school itself. And that is that Islam has its own tradition of independent thinking, and reasoning, and debate, and dissent, and yes, reinterpretation. And when I found that we have this tradition in our faith, I realized that I could be both a questioning Muslim and a faithful Muslim all at the same time. That meant I could integrate these seeming opposites, seeming opposites. And by integrating them, I could have integrity. That word has played a huge role in my life because today, as the founder of something called Moral Courage College, I teach people how to have honest, stimulating conversations with those whom they disagree with. What I'm trying to show, and this is all about integrity, is that you can stand your ground and find common ground. And in a polarized culture like ours is today, that idea is almost incomprehensible. People feel that they have to choose between these, you know, false opposites, just like I felt I had to choose between being a questioning person of faith and being a devout person of faith. Well, it turns out that the world is complex, life is deliciously multifaceted. And I'm trying to show that you don't have to be at war with people who hold very different convictions than you. Um, You actually can take a position and listen to people with opposite positions, grow from it, and even then still decide that on the whole, you're right. But that doesn't mean that the other person needs to be an object of your hatred or even your suspicion. So in a nutshell that's how i got from you know refugee muslim girl to founder of moral courage college and the author of a book called don't label me how to do diversity without inflaming the culture wars
2: such an incredible story and i appreciate you sharing that with us i mean literally out of the hundreds and hundreds of guests we've had i don't <laughs> think there there is a more inspiring and and just overall interesting story of overcoming everything that you have and I'm I'm very excited to dig into all of this and I think in some ways I feel a bit like a kindred spirit hearing your story of of kind of being exiled for questioning a, a lot of times you know I have I have things that I question about my own religious beliefs and depending on the Crowd you're around, it's either very welcomed and and explained patiently, or it's kind of get on my page, or I don't really want to talk to you. And it, it it also kind of dovetails into the larger the larger theme that we're going to explore here, which is how to have conversations with people that you disagree with. And I think. I'm 31 as of this recording, I'm, I'm far from super, super experienced, but I do believe one of the the best superpowers, if you will, that someone can have is the ability to take on new information and adjust one's viewpoint based on new information. And And I think too often we, in, in arguments or when conversations don't just go, uh, you know, happy, go lucky, and they're not, we're not all on the same page too quickly. We feel as though we almost need to beat somebody. Like at the end of the conversation, if I don't feel like I've won then, you know, I'm not going to walk away happy.
0: Right. And that is a brilliant um, insight on your part, because the fact is that we are all as human beings endowed with a brain that is not very intelligent. (laughs) It's true. You know, there is a primal part of the brain that kicks in whenever we feel in any way threatened. And that part of the brain is the source of what is called ego. Now, I'm not here to get self-healthy on anybody. In fact, I'm gonna stick to neuroscience. You know, ego rears its head when we feel that we're in a life and death situation. And, and that's perfectly understandable because, you know, back when our ancestors were hunter-gatherers on the African savanna, Anything that rustled in the bush could spell the end of your life. And so that part of the brain, the primal part of the brain, signaled to you that you'd better, you know, at this moment, freeze, flee, or fight. So in a case like that, you know, the ego is your best friend. Problem is, the good problem is, that in contemporary society, even during a pandemic, the vast majority of the time, we are not in mortal danger. We are not in life and death situations, but the primal part of the brain does not appreciate this. And so whenever we are being disagreed with, it can feel like our very existence or our very humanity is being called into question. And that is when this primal part of the brain says, You are in mortal danger, so you better get ready to fight, freeze, or flee. But in fact, it's not true. We're not in mortal danger. We are only feeling mere discomfort. And so we've got to find a way to override the ego, the primal part of the brain, in order to tap into the more executive functioning part of the brain, which is the more evolved region of our brain. And that is where, rather than emotion alone living there, it's in the, you know, more evolved part of the brain that reason and emotion can coexist. And sometimes, I know this will sound deceptively simple, but I want our listeners to try this. Sometimes all it takes to buy yourself a couple of seconds in order to tap into the evolved part of the brain and not freak out when you're being disagreed with. All it takes is to take a breath or two, a deep breath. And what you do when you go that route is you're actually slow jamming your brain, Austin. You're decelerating the blood rush in your body. And that then allows you to not react. Instead, you can respond. And that word is important because respond is the root of responsibility. In other words, you can react responsibly, knowing that you are merely uncomfortable rather than in a life and death situation that's
2: such good advice and and I think it's something so simple too just like stop and take a breath or two but instead we we you know we forget to do that we get emotional we let our ego drive our actions and you know like you said back thousands of years ago if it was a cheetah in the in the brush you know it was like either freeze, run, or you fight and you get your spear. Nowadays, it might be flipping over your your dinner at the table when you're having a conversation with family doesn't go well or walking out of the room. But I think even beyond just conversations really at any time, whether it be responding to a text or an email, I mean, the breath work can really help you stay away from making some possibly damaging and lasting uh, bad decisions.
0: There's this fascinating book, it's a slim volume, so very readable, that I myself have been rereading over the years, and it's called The Science of Breath. And that book shows how neuroscience can, in fact, explain why the simple act of breathing leads to so much more calm and constructive dialogue, even when we are in some way offended or angry or hurt. The simple act of taking in oxygen can mean the difference between ruining a relationship by saying something that you actually don't mean or retaining that relationship and still getting your point across. So notice, Austin, that I'm not talking about, you know, compromising your point of view. I'm not for a minute suggesting dilute where you actually stand. But I am saying that there are much more effective ways to get your point across than berating, insulting, mocking, or labeling people as evil or ignorant.
2: That is a great distinction and and honestly, a perfect segue to digging into the book. So your latest book, Don't Label Me, uh, it's described as a guide to doing diversity without inflaming the culture wars, which is great. I mean, I can't think of a more timely message to begin. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same
1: old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
3: Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with bike clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret?
2: out there So let's let's just start it okay so let's say we're having a conversation and all of a sudden someone says something or brings something up that you know we, we aren't comfortable with or that we want to engage in we stop we take a deep breath we get the oxygen into our brain. how do we start the conversation that's going to help drive us forward and not be counterproductive?
0: Never underestimate the power of asking sincere questions. Now, I emphasize first and foremost, the word sincere, because again, too often we will lurch for the gotcha question. We'll say things like, oh, well, what about this? Oh, well, what about that? We'll try and trap the other person in a contradiction. All that does is makes the other person as defensive and possibly more defensive than you already are. And when we get defensive, when our emotional defenses are up, we are, apropos of what you said a few minutes ago, we are you know, consumed with a question in our heads. The question being, how do I respond? How can I win this debate? We don't actually wind up listening to the other person. We just wind up fixating on how to walk away from this now argument feeling good about ourselves. So nothing constructive, nothing constructive can come of making somebody else defensive. So the first thing that we need to do when we breathe and lower our own emotional defenses is we need to clarify whether what we just heard really was meant that way so ask a question like maybe i got this wrong but but i hear you telling me x is that what you mean to say you can also you know sort of ensure that again you're not out to trap the other person by saying something like please know that this is a sincere question i'm not here to play gotcha i just want to make sure i understand and then ask more questions not based on any hidden agenda that you came into the conversation with. For example, I'm gonna crush this loser, right? That's a hidden agenda, okay? No, ask more questions based on what this person is saying in real time. Let me give you an example of why I emphasize this. You know, in, um, in Don't Label Me, I tell the story of a man by the name of Jim, who until recently was my neighbor, and for many, many years has been a father figure to me. He is a staunch Republican. Let's just put it this way, I'm not. (laughs) We have managed to find a way to communicate with one another in which we learn from one another, but every once in a while, Austin, Jim will lapse into Treating me as if I am a caricature of, you know, a liberal. So as I begin speaking and he feels triggered, he will say something to me. uh, He will, he will throw a, a, a liberal talking point back into my face as, and make fun of it as if that was what I was saying. And I have to, at that point, you know, gently grab him by the shoulders and shake them a little bit and say, Jim, who are you talking to right now? Are you talking to Rachel Maddow? Or are you talking to Irshad Manji? Because I'm not her. And I don't give a rats, you know what, what she's reported to have said on her show last night. Don't treat me like I am, you know, a caricature. Treat me like I am who you know I am. And he then realizes, yes, that he wasn't actually listening to what I was saying. He was letting himself be set off by my point of view and then inflating that in his own head to what a stereotype of a liberal would be saying to him. So you see, we all have the capacity to distort one another through the labels that we assign to one another. And we all also are on the receiving end of being labeled by other people, regardless of where you fall in that conversation, whether you're doing the labeling or whether you yourself are being labeled, you've got to be alert to how defensiveness turns us, twists us into something that we never meant to be and makes us say something that we'll regret later on. So remember not to treat your other that way. And when your other is treating you that way, remember to gently point that out. Doesn't mean calling them out, but gently point it out so that you guys can get back into a mode that I call inquisitive, not inquisitional.
2: It's such a powerful point, and honestly, I'm having a couple of realizations myself here just even while we're on the line, but I I do think there's been times that I, like having heard you explain it like that, I can see when it's been done to me, but also when I've done it where someone may present, like you said, like a talking point that – They think, you know, they disagree with, and it's some talking head on television views. And when I say something, I immediately get the, the backlash as if I was on that page. And same thing, like I've been, I've had conversations with individuals where they'll say something. And instead of inquiring and asking more and clarifying, I immediately assume, okay, you must prescribe to A, B, C, D doctrine that I do not agree with. And then my response is almost tailored. With those assumptions that if you said one thing that I might not be totally clear on, I now assume that you, you must prescribe to all of those. And that's how I continue forward as opposed to knowing like, okay, hold on. like I know this person. They don't feel like these other four things I may have just assumed. Like It's a little more nuanced than that. Let me dig in and find more.
0: And, and that word nuance is exactly the word that I was going to use. The fact is that all of us All of us, even the so-called straight white guy, (laughs) are multifaceted, okay? We are, if there's one label, Austin, that I think does capture all sentient beings, notice I said sentient beings and not human beings, because non-human animals are also this, it is that we are plurals. We are many things at once. And always, always, we are so much more than meets the eye. This is why labels can be dangerous. It's not just that labels themselves can distort because they can only capture one slice of who any of us is. It's also the baggage that goes with that label, right? So if you're a, let's say, Republican and it's factually true, let's say, that you're a Republican, well, that word then carries all of these connotations that may not. Actually, describe where you stand on any number of issues. So, again, you know, it's the baggage that we have to be aware of. And remember that that is baggage that I didn't have any say in, you didn't have any say in. So, it's profoundly undemocratic to be, you know, stuffing somebody into a label with all of the implications that come with it and then punishing them for either having that label, which by the way, you decided you're going to give them, or punishing them for pushing back on that label because now they're challenging your point of view. Do you see how this can become such a hot mess actually? And it all starts because we're not actually listening to where somebody is coming from. We're not actually asking questions, sincere questions about why they believe what they believe. All we're doing is judging, judging on terms that are convenient for us.
2: And it's almost in some ways like a form of laziness, right? Like to give the people labels is easy. To ask inquisitive questions is difficult.
0: Well, that's exactly right. And, and back to the point I made earlier about how our brains are not exactly the intelligent organs that we're raised to believe. There's a reason, actually, that they're not, in the first instance, all that intelligent. And that's because our brains strive to conserve energy. After all, every one of us is having to, you know, navigate innumerable bits and bytes of information day in and day out. And the brain, in order not to experience what's called cognitive overload, in other words, in order not to feel overwhelmed and therefore shut down, The brain assigns labels to things. So a table is a table, even though, quite frankly, a different use of it could mean that it becomes a door. A chair is a chair, although, you know, depending on how we lounge in it, it could also be a bed. But the point is that the brain needs to make sense of things right away so we can get on with functioning. So, of course, it will assign labels. But here's the key to remember. People are not Things. Things are static. People are not. Is why labels will invariably distort dynamic, evolving creatures, sentient beings, into something that those labels simply cannot capture on their own. So, to be perfectly practical here, I say, fine, if you need to label somebody just to begin making sense of them, begin trying to understand them, fine, I get it. That's where your brain goes. So, okay, make your labels the starting point, but do not make them your finish lines. If you truly care about that person, and that's a big if, I get it. But if you truly care about that person, in the hopes that they will truly care about you and where you're coming from, then engage. And this leads me, forgive the sermon, this leads me to one final point that I really wanna get across to our listeners. And again, it comes back to the science of success. There is a non-negotiable ironclad law of human psychology. And it is this, if you want to be heard, You must first be willing to hear. So you see, my effort to get people to engage with one another is not about being nice. It's not even about being civil. I'll be the first person to say that much harm has been committed by the powers that be in every culture in the name of civility. So no, that's not where I'm coming from, I'm saying that if you want to be successful in communicating your own message, you will much more likely achieve that success if you first listen and only then speak. It's counterintuitive, I know, but everything worthwhile, quite frankly, involves paradox. And this is one of them.
2: I love that point. So powerful. Putting on a masterclass here, I love it. You know, if you want to be heard, you must first be willing to hear. It's just incredibly powerful. And I've I've heard versions of that statement, but I've never heard it said that way. Quick clarifying point, and then I want to move on to a couple of things that, that are going to push my boundaries a little bit too. But if we're going to, let's say that we've we've kind of defaulted. Okay, we have to use our labels as a starting point. I think. Would it be true to say that if we are going to use labels as a starting point, but not use them just to define people, but rather as a place to grow and understand from, would we need to adjust our labels from the get-go? Because I can think of a number of things that I now, after having this conversation and speaking to with you for a little while, I would say they're labels – But they're kind of extreme when I think at certain points, right? So if I'm going to use those as a baseline, I would almost need to kind of tone them down to just say, okay, this person is X and that's all as like a label and then build on top of that as opposed to in some conversations, if someone made a certain comment, I might give a label that has, again, you know, not necessarily intentionally, but might also have the one, two, three, four, five, six other things attached to it that necessarily might not apply.
0: Right. Exactly. And I think there's a very quaint word that what you've just said brings to mind. The word is humility. And I know that, you know, in our era of, frankly, arrogance and certitude and instant gratification, the word humility is probably laughable. But you'd be surprised. In fact, most of us would be surprised how far a little bit of humility goes these days. And this is why I think that the point about asking questions and sincere questions rather than making statements right off the bat has so much uh, psychological impact. It literally shows that you are listening and therefore that you care about the other person and therefore that you are in that moment willing to be a student rather than a teacher. And when that person feels all of those things, which typically they will, if you treat them, you know, with that kind of humility, they will in turn feel a moral reciprocity to give you what you just gave them. You know, in the book, I tell a number of stories of how even hardcore people, people, quite frankly, who would have acknowledged themselves to be racists. Have been humbled in a very positive way, have discovered for themselves why their so called truths were lacking in truth, and have since reformed themselves because of the respect that they were shown. Now, I want to say one word about the word respect because, you know, people use that word all the time. We got to be respectful or respect me. And so often, Austin, people assume that I have to agree with you if I'm going to respect you or you have to agree with me in order to for me to feel respect. But look, respect is not the same thing as agreement. Respect comes from the Latin word respectate, which means to look, spectate, right, which means to look. Again, in other words, the first impression that you get from somebody ought not to be the last impression that you leave with. Look again, and that means ask questions. That means speak with them. That means engage further and invite them to speak with you. Notice again, nobody is saying therefore you must change your mind about where you stand, not at all. I wanna emphasize, if on balance, you still believe after that engagement that you are in the right, God bless. But what that means is you can be more secure in where you're coming from, and by engaging with the other, you will have learned about their values. You will have picked up on what's important to them, and with that information, you can actually reframe your own position in terms of their values. And therefore you will finally have a fighting shot at being heard. So actually engaging rather than walking away in most cases will provide you with a gift and it's up to you about whether you choose to accept that gift and use it to be an effective, successful communicator.
2: I love it. So, so many great points. When, when you talked about being humble and how actually, you know, being humble will cause the other person to kind of reciprocate that that humbleness and be more open to hearing. It reminded me of something I've heard. I think it may have been Vishen Lakiani on the podcast a number of years ago, but basically saying that you know, forgiving somebody for doing you wrong is actually the most selfish thing you can do and it's kind of a paradox or counterintuitive In that you know you would think that forgiving someone is all about the other person but really it allows you to let go of of the anger that you have there and in some ways i see that as being similar to being humble right like you might see if you're humble this that's that's weakness or that's you kind of giving ground on your argument but actually by being humble you're getting something from the other person in the long run while also building an authentic bridge towards understanding and like you said, ultimately being able to reframe your point or your position after understanding theirs in a way that might actually get through to them as opposed to just continuing to butt heads using your own you know, preconceived notions and, and perceptions.
0: Yeah. And and I'm going to push back a little bit on the analogy, you know, between what I just said and the idea of forgiveness. Again, I want our listeners to understand I am not not advocating that you forgive people who, you know, have hurt you in some way. Look, that's up to you if you decide to forgive them. Right. But, But I'll be very upfront. You know, I grew up in a violent household, Austin, and my father, you know, was a very, very abusive man, physically, emotionally, psychologically. I have not forgiven him. And the reason I have not forgiven him and will not forgive him is that he refuses to offer an apology to the person he hurt the most, my mother. And until he has the humility to apologize, he will not get my forgiveness. But what he does get from me is an appreciation that he too grew up with violence and that therefore he did not know any better way to express his own frustrations and anger. So I understand why he was a violent soul. I don't forgive it, but I understand. And that understanding has allowed me to move forward. This all raises, by the way, another really interesting point. And, you know, I I keep saying be sure to ask questions and sincere questions. Well, now I'm going to suggest that we also ask questions of ourselves. When you are entering into a conversation with somebody who profoundly disagrees with you on an issue that you're passionate about, you got to ask yourself, why am I entering what I Think will be a conversation at all is it because ultimately I want to crush them is it because frankly I want to humiliate them and I think I can if so and let's be very honest with ourselves here remember you don't have to say this to anybody else but be honest with yourself if that's the reason you're even engaging with them then all you're in it for is yourself. That is profoundly selfish. And that feel-good moment, that spurt of dopamine that you're going to get from the primal part of your brain when you think that you've just slam-dunked them, that's going to last, I don't know, maybe two or three seconds. But the potential harm, the fallout from that sort of behavior could last a lot longer. On the other hand, if you can honestly say to yourself, I'm entering this conversation because I think it can be a conversation. It doesn't have to become a debate. And I'm going to test myself. I'm going to put myself in the hot seat and see if I can pick up, you know, slivers of this person's backstory. And I'm going to challenge myself to create a whole new way of explaining my position, a way that they've never heard before, that they'll probably be surprised by. And that'll be interesting to see how they respond to that. In other words, if you gamify it, doesn't mean playing the other person, but rather making this a bit of an adventure for yourself. That is when experiments and the discoveries that come from experiments arise that's when it becomes really fun. So let's be clear about what our intentions are because the process truly is the product. If you're in it with bad motives, the outcome will likely be lousy. If you go into it with at the very least benign and hopefully even constructive motives, your jaw will drop at what is possible.
2: The bridges that can be built as long as you approach it the right way. I think everyone's been kind of guilty of it. And I'm try- I'm thinking here to a conversation I've had in the past week where I can definitely say my goal was not necessarily to come at it from understanding, but not to embarrass, but more to, to win. And the, the conversation did not go anywhere. Uh, fortunately, it's someone I know well enough where it's not, you know, a huge deal, but it's just kind of, it's a useless exercise.
0: Well, hold on. I'm going to, I'm going to stop you right there because again, you tell me if, if, I'm just making a a bad assumption here because I'm very willing to be put on my place. When you say it kind of became a useless exercise, that I think assumes that the outcome of any such engagement has to be that the other person changes their mind. Otherwise, what has really been achieved? Therefore, if nothing like that has been achieved, then it's useless. And that's what I want to challenge. You see, I don't think the intention here should ever be to change someone's mind. If you have approached it with enough grace and uh, over the course of several conversations, enough persistence, chances are they will change their mind. But again, that is only a bonus. That's just icing on the cake. What you've actually achieved even just by engaging with them is that you have signaled to them, I see you as a fellow human being, and by signaling that to them, you Austin have humanized yourself to them
2: yeah, that's such a great point, and I appreciate your pushback there I mean you're keeping me in check and and i i i can <laughs> I can feel myself kind of. Ingesting this information and thinking of all the things I definitely need to work on when it comes to how I communicate, with, especially around some of these topics that might be, you know, quote unquote, more difficult to discuss.
0: And let me just say this much more I, because we're giving, as you said earlier, something of a master class, right, in, in communicating across lines of disagreement. Look, I appreciate that what I'm saying takes time. You do have to develop the patience. To not blow a fuse when somebody says something that just really rubs you the wrong way. So I'm not suggesting that you can do this with everybody. I mean, frankly, there's only 24 hours in a day. And some of us, more than others, I count myself in this group, need our beauty sleep. So we can't do this. With every single person, this is why. Maybe, maybe I'll, I'll issue a friendly challenge to our listeners. Between now and November third, 2020, identify just one person—just one—in your life. It could be a family member, it could be a friend, it could be a coworker, you know, a spouse, a neighbor, whatever. But one person whom you know really gets on your nerves because of the position that they take on an issue that you care deeply about and start a conversation with them about that issue now if you're thinking why in the hell would i you know want to bring more stress in an already you know stressed environment why would i want to do that to myself remember you're not doing it to yourself. You are doing it for yourself because everything you learn and every lesson from this conversation and from don't label me that you apply to this nascent conversation will help you when you're negotiating. Let's say for a pay raise when you're trying to talk some sense into your kids on you know on huge matters, such as you know taking drugs or the amount of drugs that they take, it might even you know come in handy in saving your marriage. I can't tell you how many Facebook posts, tweets, instagrams, emails I've received uh, since the book has come out, sort of reporting to me the successes that people have had. In, you know, in in relationships that have really hit a rut and have now been revived because uh, they've applied some of these lessons. So it's not about torturing yourself. It's really about investing in your ability to grow and to, quite frankly, enjoy healthier, happier relationships on the fronts that matter to you.
2: Ishaa, this has been a great conversation. I love the homework for the audience. Uh, and you've been very generous with your time. So I want to make sure we don't take too much more of it. But I'm curious too. So to close out, for listeners who may take your homework to heart and they may be starting these conversations, what's the best way for them to learn more about you, learn more about Don't Label Me, the work you're doing, but also if they wanted to get in touch and share an experience with you, what's the best way they can go about that?
0: Fabulous. So I have a personal website irshadmanji.com. But I also have a professional website. I'm the founder of something called Moral Courage College, which teaches people around the world how to do the right thing in the face of their fears. And in a polarized culture like ours, uh, one of the scariest things to do is indeed to speak with people who you know You know, you're going to have a hard time understanding or agreeing with. And if you're interested, therefore, in not just learning how to do that, but here's a thought. Even becoming what we call a moral courage mentor in becoming certified to teach this on your own and use these lessons to sort of uh, resolve conflicts in your own families or communities, uh, churches, companies, uh, especially in the post-George Floyd moment where, you know, emotions are running very, very high and demands are being made on all kinds of fronts, come to moralcourage.com. And hit in the top navigation bar, learn. And you will read all about Moral Courage College, our philosophy, our methodology, and not just what we can do for schools and businesses and communities, but also how you can be part of bringing this methodology, the Moral Courage Method, to places that matter to you.
2: Rashad, thank you so much for the time. And thank you for coming on the show. I'd love to do it again sometime. We didn't even get to half my questions just because the conversation kept going and we were having such a great time. So we'd love to do it again. We'll definitely include all of those those resources and links in our show notes. And thank you so much for the time. I hope we can connect again soon.
0: I hope so too, Austin. Be well.
4: Thank you so much for listening to the Science of Success. We created the show to help you, our listeners, master evidence-based growth. I love hearing from listeners. If you want to reach out, share your story, or just say hi, shoot me an email. My email is matt at successpodcast.com. That's M-A-T-T at successpodcast.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I read and respond to every single listener email.